0: What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I'm sitting in the back of the bus right now. I'm out on tour. If you're out on the Western Conference of the U.S., you got to come check this tour out. It is killing right now. Got my whole band out, 10-piece band. Monica Martin is a special guest. The band La Lome is opening up. These cats are dope. Super cool music. It's been fun to watch them every night. So check it out. If I'm coming to a city near you, you better be there. Also, very special thing this weekend, Chinese New Year, February 10th, in Denver, Mission Ballroom. We're doing a huge Chinese New Year party. Gong He Fa Choi, we're getting it in. I got the lion dancers, the dragons coming out. We got a whole thing. We got the acrobats. I'm dead serious. It's going to be dope. It's going to be fun. Putting the community together. Reached out to some of these cats. They're like, yeah, we're down. Let's do this. Let's throw the dopest Chinese New Year party in all of Denver. And also for the occasion, we're gonna be doing choice cuts from the Wong's Cafe album that was released a little over a year ago. Why don't you send me a DM or something? Let me know which songs off the Wong's Cafe album you wanna hear. If you're not familiar with Wong's Cafe, it's an album that put out part of my Wolf Vault. Everybody in Wolfpack has been doing a Wolf Vault album This one was named after the restaurant that my family had in Rochester, Minnesota. Started decades ago. And the album cover is actually a picture of the restaurant from the 1950s, I believe, is when that photo was taken. Anyways, come celebrate Chinese New Year with us in Denver. It's gonna be fun. Fly in for it. Come on. Today on the show, we got the incredible Billy Strings. Billy is a great friend, incredible guitar player, singer, songwriter. This guy is sick! It's been so insane to see the rocket ship that has been his career and artistry over the last several years. This is somebody who has so much musical depth and wisdom beyond his years. It's just, it's so fun to watch. And he's just a great person to talk to because he's got so much knowledge and so much depth in several scenes. It's really cool. So, if you are familiar with my YouTube series, Cory and the Wong Notes. It's a variety show that I have on YouTube. This interview is taken from that. If you're not familiar, here it is. get to hear it for the first time, or if you want to go see the interview, it's actually on my YouTube page. But yeah, this is from that video. So without further ado, Billy Strings. Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount and DistroKid takes 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. Or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing. It works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you want to use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong, and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out, DistroKid. All right, let's hit this episode. What's happening? Welcome to today's show with our special guest, Billy Strings. Billy, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, man. Good to be here. We just met maybe two hours ago. We recorded a song together. And I think that last take was the one.
1: That was the one. Yeah, what'd y'all think?
0: (laughs) Insert applause. Insert applause, yes. It's fun to just hang out and meet people where you have a mutual respect and admiration for each other, sometimes just not really knowing a lot about each other. or You know, it's like, oh, we've seen each other's thing around the internet or whatever. Get together, kind of have an idea of how it's going to go. And you just play and say, Whoa that was really fun. There's all of a sudden this connection and you're listening in a different way because you're analyzing yourself, how you fit in the context of something and how everybody responds to you. Now, before we got started here, you were telling me a little bit about kind of how you grew up playing bluegrass music and how that sort of community element was there when you would go to festivals. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And I I would love to hear you speak a little more to what it was like going to bluegrass festivals as a kid and what it was like learning to play those tunes, and like like you were just talking about.
1: Um, yeah, I mean there was this little festival, probably about thirty miles from where we we lived, called Charlotte Bluegrass Festival. And you know the festivals that I was going to when I was little were three hundred, three hundred fifty people, and it was a lot of old older folks, and you know they'd come with their campers and and sit in their chairs and watch the shows and stuff. But me and my friends like never really made it to the main stage you know when I went to a festival I brought my guitar and I was going there to pick and a lot of other people did that same thing so we'd never even see the, you know the musical acts um we just end up jamming all night but it's just like a way of life you know I just kind of cut my teeth on all those tunes my dad played the records and you know played the songs with his friends and stuff and um it wasn't anything kind of different than anything else that we did around the house like you know, or kind of activities that we did like fishing or something like that. It's just like something that we did. And my dad never like made a living off it or anything. He's just a really great musician. And, yeah. um, I mean, I saw the joy that it brought to people. He'd have some friends over and, you know, a banjo player and a bass player and stuff. And we, you know, they'd be jamming and people would be standing around smoking and drinking and just having a good time all night. You know, and my dad was like singing till he's like red in the face and just everybody's happy and yeah, I kind of noticed that. Like, man, my dad's like the life of the party. That's awesome. Yeah, you know. Is that where
0: you learned music from your dad? Yeah, absolutely. When did you start?
1: Like, even when I was in the high chair, like you know, three years old, I had like this little plastic guitar. Yeah. And it was like, you know, it was the '90s, so it was like neon colors, and <laughs> i never had batteries in it. It had these little buttons on the fretboard that you'd push, and I guess they must have sang songs or whatever. But it had this little speaker on like around where the sound hole would be. Yeah. And it, it was a circle like that and it had horizontal plastic ridges on it. Yeah. And I, my dad gave me a pick and I could ch- 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 scratch on that. And yeah. so even back in my high chair, I was starting to get my right hand going playing rhythm. Yeah. You know, And uh, by the time I was four years old, he went and got me my first guitar. We were walking through this antique store one day. I just saw the guitar. It was like the light was shining down on it and it was like a smaller guitar. It was just my size. and I just needed it, you know, and and he took his last little 30 bucks or whatever he had in his wallet and, you know, bought me that guitar and taught me G, C, and D and gave me a capo. And next thing you know, I started learning these fiddle tunes and bluegrass tunes, uh, Long Journey Home and Beaumont Rag, Salt Creek, tunes like that. A lot of Stanley Brothers stuff, Doc Watson, Bill Monroe, Flatt & Scruggs, uh, Jimmy Martin, Larry Sparks. That's a lot of stuff that I grew up on, you know, playing and Strictly pretty much played rhythm back then. My dad did all the fancy picking and I yeah. just played just played rhythm. And that gave me a good foundation to kind of stand on. Playing rhythm, you know, I was listening to the way the vocal harmonies worked and stuff together. And it kind of gave me a chance to just play and still listen a lot, mm-hmm. you know. I was mostly listening, Yeah. you know, so I think that really helped as far as just... Making me a better musician.
0: So today's theme, theme of this episode, is nostalgia, and we all have some sort of idea of what that means. To me, I kind of think of nostalgia as like memories that have an emotion attached to it, or something. Mm-hmm. And there are certain times in my life where I think back to my earliest musical memories, my earliest musical places of nostalgia. You know, the real prominent ones of like. You know, also growing up in the 90s, just watching MTV and yeah. absorbing all of that. Is there a, a really potent, I mean, obviously music was a big part of your life, even from growing up. I didn't start till I was later. I think I was 12 or something when I first started. But is there a, a singular moment that you feel like is a first
1: real musical memory for you? There is a specific one that I always sort of come back to, and it's that... Beaumont Rag thing, I mean, I was learning this tune, Beaumont Rag, and I was probably six years old, and my dad was teaching me this song, and like I said, I was only playing rhythm, and he was playing the the lead, and, and when it got to the B section of the song, I always messed up the chords, and I got frustrated, and I just was like, just stop. Right in the middle of the song, I was like, Dad, just stop, you know, and I go, why don't you just play it and let me listen, you know, and he played it. You know, and this time, instead of just holding the chord and then counting to four, okay, A, two, three, four, D, two, three, four, I listened to what he was doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's playing Beaumont Rag, you know, he's playing this... (laughs) And then the next section. So instead of just like playing the you know chords and counting, yeah, I started thinking of it as like, okay, he's going, And then when I had that in my head and I played the chords, I played the right chords yeah and that like I nailed it and he was really proud and he like reached over and squeezed my little hand you know I was still holding my pick and he called my grandma on the phone I was like listen to your grandson play this and Mm. you know everybody was awful proud and it was one of these moments where you know dad was proud of me and I was proud of myself and that really is one of the moments that really gave me motivation and drive to, to keep playing and stuff you know and it's like when I was little I just wanted to be like my dad, you know. Mm-hmm. If he wore Levi's, I wore Levi's. If he wore a ball cap, I wore a ball cap. Yeah. You know, and he played guitar and sang and you know, played bluegrass music and it's like that's what I want to do. Is that still
0: the main motivator for you right now in your musical
1: journey? I think it's it's about half wanting to make my parents proud and it's a, also another half just not wanting to, you know, I was exposed to a lot of substance abuse and just Uh, crazy kind of stuff growing up and uh, I saw a lot of people go down the wrong road and I just didn't want to do that and so music really has kept me away from that so that's a big motivator as well just like not wanting to have a bad life you know yeah I just want to like do good and and also like I failed all through high school and stuff like I you know the only reason I graduated is because I was selling mushrooms and I like paid this kid five bucks per assignment you know and I couldn't do math. I couldn't pass algebra. My brain just doesn't work that way. So I literally like wouldn't have even graduated high school if I wasn't like selling mushrooms. And music's the only thing I've ever had. And like, I, you know, all that school stuff is to say that I didn't have anything else. I didn't have any other skill. Mm-hmm. I wasn't gonna go to college because I hated school. Sure. And I kind of never, you know, like I was saying, playing music was just a way of life around the house. It was never something that I ever thought was an option as far as a career, you know, you're not going to make it, you know? Like, I just, that was the mindset. I felt, like, kind of trapped, you know? Like, when I was in elementary and middle school and high school and stuff, I read, you know, books about, like, Kurt Cobain and Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix and all those, like, larger-than-life kind of people. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to, like, be somebody like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be, like, a, you know, some, some musical icon or something. When I was like you know a teenager playing in metal bands and stuff like paying to play and just realizing that wow (laughs) this is really tough and that's kind of an unfathomable dream and it's probably not going to happen but I just stuck to it and I I realized that okay I'm not going to be Jimi Hendrix but I could be like a dude that makes a living playing music have a good life and not have to work some job that I hate and that was around the time I was like you know 18 19 and stuff I started realizing that quit my day job at the hotel and stuff, and just kind of took it and ran. But it all goes back to just learning how to play as a kid, you know, playing bluegrass. Those were the best days of my life, you know. There was this little place called uh, Barkus Park, and it was owned by this guy, Brad Lasko. And he was a banjo picker. He played like Earl Scruggs, and he was my dad's best friend, you know. I called Mm. him Uncle Brad. Yeah. And it was awesome. I mean, we sat down there. It was right on the Stony Creek. There was fishing. There was other kids running around playing, you know, getting dirty and running in the creeks. And the adults were always partying and sitting by the fire playing music all night. Yeah. And like it was a great childhood, you know, just being exposed to that music and just being around it all the time to where, like I said, it was just it was just a way of life. Like um, I remember when that movie Oh Brother, Where Art Thou came out. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody started getting real hyped on that song, Man of Constant Sorrow. Yeah. You know, where Dan Tominski sang it and George Clooney like acted and stuff. And I just thought, like, what? You guys are yeah, just yeah. now getting tapped into this? <laughs> like, dude, I've been listening to Ralph Stanley for years, man. Like, Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I thought I was so cool because I already knew that song and stuff.
0: I will say that I'm one of those people that used that as a gateway, then found my way to Nickel Creek, I think maybe they had a really popular album that year also. And that was kind of my way in. So I'm one of the you know, late comers that you would have been like, all right, fine, come on in. I've been yeah. here for a while, but
1: come <laughs> <Yeah>. on in. <laughs> that's the other thing about you know that whole attitude about uh, any kind of music is just kind of absurd anyways, because no matter wh- where you started or how you get into it, people are getting into the music, and that's cool.
0: And what's interesting about that is that people get in at different points, and then from that, you know, you might have the, the, the cast that are at the top or even think that they're at the top and they'll either welcome you into their world or they'll kind of wait to initiate you in a way where they kind of want to haze you or whatever to get in. <laughs> Do you feel like in your world, I mean, I've seen, I mean, obviously, you know, you said you want to become an icon, somebody who has something to say. you just won the Grammy for best bluegrass album. I would say that you're you're well on your way to icon status, not to flatter you too much. Oh, but yeah. you know, I've played with a lot of my heroes and just from our previous conversation before this started, you've gotten to play with a lot of your heroes. Do you feel like you were welcomed in or did you feel like, oh my gosh, I have something to prove and like they were there was some tension coming into it.
1: No, I felt, you know, incredibly welcomed, you know, like a few years ago I started really getting to meet all of my heroes, Del McCurry, Sam Bush, Bela Fleck, Jerry Douglas, you know, all those cats, Peter Rowan, David Grisman. Yeah. You know. And no, I just realized that they're just a bunch of normal ass dudes that are cool as hell. And they just, they're really good at their (laughs) instruments, that's all. And like, Bela called me to be on his record, you know. Yeah. And going into that, it was like this whole kind of imposter syndrome feeling of like... I mean, I even, like, talked to my therapist about it. Like, I don't know, like, being in sessions with Chris Thiele and, yeah. and you know, Edgar Meyer and yeah. dudes like that. Like, I'm not I'm not on that level. I'm not. So having that, like, imposter syndrome was kind of a a thing that I sort of had to get over, It, you know, and I didn't want to, like, make a deal out of it or anything. Mm-hmm. But my therapist goes, all right, so who's this guy, Bela Fleck? You really respect him, right? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, don't you think he knows what he's doing like he -hmm. called you to be on the record like don't you have enough respect for him to like respect his decision to have you
0: (laughs) that's a really good way of putting it
1: and i'm like you're right like he wouldn't have called me if i didn't belong here yeah just kind of drop all all at the door and just go into the studio and try to do your best yeah when i started playing like myself you know that's when i get positive reactions from people you know it's like totally Trying to sound like anybody else or something is never the thing, you know? And, but yeah, like Del McCurry, you know, all those guys, Grisman, uh, Grisman's become a good friend and it's, it's really amazing To I never thought I'd be able to meet those guys, you know? And mm-hmm. They were up on this huge pedestal to me of mm-hmm. like almost like God-like figures, you know? And when you meet them, you know, it's just like, sit down and play music and it's just cooler than you ever thought yeah. it would be. absolutely. It's just super cool.
0: Well, I think you, you mentioned, oh, there's no, I'm not even near to as good as whatever. You know, sometimes we have this idea in our head of inferiority or whatever. But I think also once you, you tapped into something right there that I am very, very vocal about is that finding your own voice and your own thing. So that way you do have something to contribute to the conversation, whether, you know, you're stepping into somebody else's world and you think they're better at that thing. You can at least come with something compelling to say because you approach things in your own way and trusting their decision to bring you in. They also probably know or have an idea in their mind of what you can bring to the table that will help them accomplish something. You know, the more we explore who we are as a musician and who we are as a, a person and express that, then it's, you know, for me, that's how I've found comfort in. I, i'm pretty much cool to go into any musical situation and sometimes i am going to feel like oh my gosh i don't belong here but i'm going to approach it with my own thing exactly and maybe it fits and maybe it doesn't and maybe everybody else is speaking french and i'm trying to you know hang on to one word here or there but mm-hmm. either way i'm doing it in my own way you know
1: totally yeah nobody can do you better than you you know exactly That's
0: exactly it. Yeah. Funny thing about bluegrass is that it's one of those. I don't know if it's a funny thing. It's the interesting thing about bluegrass is that it's one of several genres where to me it inherently has some sort of nostalgic feeling to it. It has something where like I don't have a lot of personal memories or personal ties to bluegrass aside from seeing Bela Fleck in the Flecktones as a teenager and that be like when I first saw them, that opened up my eyes to an, a totally new realm of possibility of like, wow, this weird eclectic group can be really popular. But Bluegrass, it, it seems like it it's inherently got this thing that brings up like memories that I don't even have.
1: That's that's all it's about, man. I mean, if you listen to Bill Monroe's music, a lot of it is is it's lonesome. It's about You know, like sad stuff, you know, mom and dad are gone, buried up in the graveyard and I'm here to walk the world alone, you know, and Mm. stuff like that. And it is nostalgic. And it's also just that Americana vibe. I feel like bluegrass music or at least the classic stuff has even just the language that was used is almost more of an ancient tongue, if you will. Like Mm. just saying stuff like, you know, if I would listen to what mom and dad said, I would not be here today or, you know, they call me by a number, not a name. It's an American music. It's like one of the America's only you know, true art forms that I feel like we really own. Sure. You know, like baseball or something. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it came from Kentucky. It's nostalgic because it's, it's old-sounding music, you know? Sure. It's yeah. like you hear it and you think about some old dude back in the day sitting on his porch playing a banjo, and it's just old school, you know? It's acoustic. Yeah. There's no electricity really involved in it. It's of the earth. It's just... Yeah. you know it's kind of a natural thing and but yeah and then you know the subject matter too like I said it's just yeah, a totally. lot of, a lot of it is really lonesome and for me it's big time nostalgic and that's how it saved my life I think because I was going down sort of a bad path you know like whatever it was I was playing in a metal band and doing drugs and just partying and dropping out of school and all this you know I remember one time specifically I was like drunk I was like 15 years old driving my mom's uh, Chevelle down Hayes Road, cornfields on both sides, just seeing, you know, with a bottle of vodka riding shotgun, seeing how fast I could get that thing to go. And while I'm cruising down the road, I see this tape hanging out of the tape deck, and I'm like, I wonder what mom's been listening to. And I pop it in. What comes on but the Stanley Brothers' Rank Stranger. And it's just one of the most classic bluegrass songs that you've ever heard. And I just started slowing down and I just sort of pulled off the road and I was just like so nostalgic for my past, nostalgic for my childhood before all of that addiction. It was all sunshine back then in bluegrass. It was just a good childhood. And I sort of like, I drifted away from bluegrass. You know, like I said, I was playing in the metal band. But when I heard that, I pushed the tape in and I heard that I just wanted to start crying. And like, it just reminded me of being like seven years old again, mm-hmm. playing at Barkus Park with my dad and his friends. And that's really what started it again. It's like, I, you know, I got an acoustic guitar again. I started to learn how to play the fiddle tunes and stuff. It just started me kind of on this path that I'm on now, which turned out to be a better road, you know, um, than the one I was going down. Yeah. And and really, I think having something to focus on, which was music, really kind of saved my ass in a way. Yeah. You know.
0: Bluegrass is a traditional style but there's a modern way to approach it.
1: People sometimes come along that completely change the game. Like Earl Scruggs did. Yeah. When he joined Bill Monroe's band, that was really when bluegrass was formed, as we know it today. And then, you know, people like, for instance, Bill Keith or something come along and change it, and Tony Trishka and stuff, and that leads to people like Bela Fleck that change it. And, For instance, just growing up playing bluegrass guitar, I really went to the Doc Watson School of Music. Mm. I didn't really know about Tony Rice as much. Sure. And it's just a a different style of approaching it where Doc Watson plays pretty much strictly the melody a lot of the time. Tony Rice plays, you know, shapes and um, a lot of notes and bluesy stuff and just kind of shreds over it all and it's really awesome. Can you show me both examples? Like. And, And what would be more classic? Like what's more traditional? What Doc does. So Doc is just straight up play the melody. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Doc would play something more like. <laughs>
0: you
1: know, and Tony might kind of put a little bit more of a, a flair on it. little. Well... just more kind of jamming around it and stuff and and really so like when I was growing up playing I wasn't like I said I wasn't totally aware of that whole Tony Rice style of playing and that was like a second generation thing I think
0: yeah can you play your interpretation of that song what you just did
1: yeah I mean I it would probably stick closer towards the you know the doc one like if I was just gonna play it I don't really know what it is exactly that sure. I do. I think it's a kind of a, it's like a goulash of all those guys kind of put together. I think everything that I play is some thing that I've listened to and it's being regurgitated yeah, in totally. some way. Sometimes I might play it more like Tony Wood or something if it was on maybe a song that is more of that style. Yeah. Or if I'm playing like an old school thing, I might play it more to the middle of the road like Doc. Yeah. You know, depending on what the song kind of calls for. Yeah. But I just try to make it work with whatever it is, like you know, yeah, the best musicians are the ones that you don't hear, you know, sure, the ones that blend in and yeah, until
0: don't. it's their time to go, then right, they, then you got to step out,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, totally, but even then, you know, like somebody like Jimmy Herring and stuff, yeah, he could be playing a rip your face off solo, but it still doesn't sound like he's poking out front, it sure. sounds so in. into the mix you know the funk
0: world the rhythm guitar electric guitar thing in that realm has the same sort of thing and it's it's funny you talk about this those different schools like that exact sort of lineage that sort of path exists i guess probably in every genre and every style of guitar playing but as i'm thinking about that it's like oh yeah that could be similar to you know catfish his style or you know paul jackson jr or dave williams or You know, some of these other rhythm guitar players, Nile Rodgers and Prince, they have certain lineage and they have certain ways that they'll add extra things. Or
1: You know, you hear Johnny Winter play some real Delta blues, you know, and it sounds just as old school as can be, but he can also play, you know, Good Morning Little School Girl and just, you know, sound like somebody from 69 at Woodstock. You know what I mean? Like, it's super awesome. There's this crazy, like, lesson that I got from Sam Bush which was something that happened on stage where I learned that, and I'll never forget it. It was because it was like one of the first times I really hung out with Sam Bush. I remember he he, like, he gave me a hug that night. When I first saw him, he was like, hey, Billy, and he gave me a big hug, and I was like, Sam Bush knows my name, <laughs> yeah. you know? And like, so that night we were on stage together, and we were playing, like, rolling in my sweet baby's arms. There's like 20 people on stage, and you know, I go up to the mic and I circle around back and Sam goes up to the mic and we circle around back and we're just playing in the back. And I'm figuring, man, I already took my solo. You know, I'm nowhere near a microphone. Nobody's gonna hear me anyways. I lean over and take a drink of my beer. Right as soon as I lean over and take a drink of my beer, I look over and Sam Bush is standing right next to me with his eyes closed, playing the rhythm with every single ounce of energy that he had just for the sake of the song itself and i felt like such idiot that i would just stop playing guitar and take a drink of my beer because i have zero respect for the song mm. it's like we're playing a song right now let's at least give the song a little bit of respect enough respect to at least give the song our full attention yeah you know yeah absolutely and it was just this thing it was like oh my god like i gotta pay attention up here like i gotta play and mean it and not just like be up here just like oh I already did my solo like Mm -hmm. you know I'm gonna have a drink beer now like I felt like a kid you know yeah and it was a huge lesson one day I told him about that whole thing and he said the same thing happened to him when he was a kid he was on stage with the the nitty-gritty dirt band and the guitar player goes after this you know verse let's go up to the lip of the stage and rock a solo and Sam's like what and the guy just takes off going up there And they went up to the lip of the stage and got in the crowd's face and played this solo, and the crowd went nuts. And Sam was like, "Oh, like we're performing." Yeah. Oh, I get it now. So it's just one of the things that I that I learned, you know, a big lesson. Just like, hey man, just pay attention, just tap your foot, just be there. Wait, you know, just wait till the song's over to hit your smoke or whatever, you know. Yeah. Like, just just be there, be in the moment in the song. In Wolfpack, there's. A saying we always say. We always say respect for the craft,
0: mm-hmm. and it comes from. We learned this lesson um, back when we were eating cheese. <laughs> funny, like I, I I don't eat cheese now. But anyways, <laughs> the, <laughs> we don't need to go there. There's there's not, there's mm-hmm. that whatever. <laughs> so Theo went to this apparently pretty fancy cheese place to get. Some che- meat and cheese or whatever for this platter. We were hanging out at night or something. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what it was. And he orders one type of cheese and the guy's like, you know, talking him through it. And then he orders another type of cheese and he's like, all right, you ready to check out? It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, he's just, and the guy's about to pack the stuff up and Theo's just like, oh, no, no, just put them both in the Like, you don't, I don't need two different bags. Just, just put them in two separate bags. He's like, I can't do that, man. Respect for the craft. And he put the, you know, because those two, Pieces of cheese are not meant to co-mingle or whatever, you know. Right. So he cared so much about the craft of cheese and the craft of this thing that he didn't want. It, it was going to diminish the experience for us later if they had been in the same bag or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, that's a really, I love thinking that respect for the craft. You know, even beyond just respect for the song, it's respect for the craft of what we're doing. This is what we're meant to do with our lives. Yeah, this yeah. is. Music is the thing that saved your life. Mm-hmm. Music is the thing that we use to bring joy to people. The way that we can use the gifts that we have or the talents that we have to share something with the world. You know, we we might be lacking in other areas, but this is something that we can actually do that's compelling. So, to give our utmost respect for it, of course, that's what we should do.
1: Yeah. And with anything in life, you know, like I've had these kind of enlightening psychedelic experiences that have led me to this kind of way of living that I try to, you know, I try to live this way. Um, it doesn't always happen. You know, everybody's human, but like just the, not dipping your toes in the pool and just wondering and, Oh, is it cold or should I get in or shouldn't I get, you know, just dive in to the deep end, you know, or Mm -hmm. don't, if you don't want to go swimming, (laughs) but yeah, just like, you know what you want. You know, like, yeah. Whether it's a relationship or a a job or a you know, you know, should we put that song on the set list tonight? Just like, stop being so indecisive and just do what you want to do. Yeah. You know, and put your mind to it and just do it. It's a lot easier said than done. I mean, I catch sure. myself on stage thinking about oatmeal cookies and you know, but like <laughs> uh, when I do, I'm like, oh, snap out of it, kid.
0: You know? But sometimes that's okay if we're thinking about other things and we just let to a certain degree. Right. It's one thing if you know you're letting your mind drift or something. But sometimes I will purposefully imagine a landscape and then I'm just painting that with my instrument yeah. in the moment because that's what I feel like I need to do to actually be more present is to kind of disconnect.
1: Right. And yeah and there's that there's totally that whole vibe too where you can get too much into it and you're paying too much attention yeah it's all music is all a Zen thing like that. it's like the yin, the yang, the up, the down, left, right, you know it's like yeah, yeah paying attention and and really being there and, and you know but also letting go mm. and not being in control. That's something that I learned like I just did these gigs out in Hawaii with um Bill Kreutzman, and playing Grateful Dead music is like that because it's just like. He'll just switch up the groove at any time. Like, if one person plays one thing, it will change the entire... It's a butterfly effect. It'll change the entire song. Yeah. And the music plays the band, you know. And that's just such a cool way to be. Like, the only way is to have no way, you yeah. know. It's just the only way to do it. And, like, I think Carlos Santana was really on that same trip, too. as just, like, getting out of the... You know, it, it's it's a weird thing because you're in control, but you gotta gotta get out of control as well. Um, you're playing, you're making the music, but at some point you you have to channel. It's like bigger than you. Totally. You know,
0: I saw that you were doing that gig. You were telling me that you're oh I'm gonna be out in Florida doing this whatever. As soon as you said that, I was thinking. I think if there's anybody in our generation who's poised to because seemingly grateful dead or dead and coat that's going to be around forever seemingly in our brains right but i feel like and i don't i don't mean to put any weight on you or anything but it's like when mayor decides that he doesn't want to do it anymore or they want to go a different direction i feel like you're poised to be the next cat no, in know. our generation would yeah. you be down to do that if if they
1: i mean i it would be a lot of fun and it would be quite an honor and you know all that stuff and but at the same time, like I got my own kind of thing going on. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like I wanna make totally. I wanna make my own grateful dead. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? I wanna make like my own I like that. Thing, you know? I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to almost believe in that dream again that I had when I was a little kid. Of like, no, screw it, I'm gonna take this thing as far as I can. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And like going from somebody who was like poor and like living in a meth house to like somebody who's like you know meeting people that are like really amazing musicians and respected people in the industry or Mm -hmm. and even like you know like meeting like some of the like bigger people like Post Malone and stuff like that was like I went out to his house one time and it's like geez man like you're 25 dude and you have made such an amazing life with music you know Mm -hmm. and it's it's doable, you know, like you can, yeah. you can reach your dream if you just got to keep your head down and keep playing. And it's also like, so somebody like him, you know, that kind of success I feel like would be really stressful where it happened so fast. Mm-hmm. My thing is like, I'm not going to be any pop star. I'm going to, you know, it's more of like the Tom Petty, Willie Nelson, Grateful Dead kind of approach. Totally. The long haul. Yeah. The we're gonna play many, many gigs and pick up a few fans here and there, sell a couple records, you know. But really, it's about the live show, man. Like, you gotta come see us play. That's the goal, is just to be patient and to keep doing what I'm doing and just keep snowballing that and just really take it as far as I can. We don't even really play bluegrass all the time. I mean, we play a lot of different stuff, but it's really acoustic guitar, bass, mandolin, and banjo to be able to take those instruments and really play any kind of music or. You know, that's just fun. Yeah. Like, I cut my teeth on bluegrass, and then I learned about rock and roll and heavy metal. And I came back to it, and I'm just like, screw it, I'm just going to play music. You know? People get, like, upset about, oh, this is that, and this ain't that. <laughs> this ain't bluegrass, or this, that, or, you know. Oh, he's changing bluegrass. He's making it the best. He's bringing the youth. Oh, he's ruining bluegrass. He's got green hair. You know, like, you know, it's like... Yeah. Eh, and know. we
0: all interpret music differently. We all want to express music differently we just come from different places and i think that's fine. Some like, people
1: want different things for the music. Some sure. people don't want it to change. Some yeah. people don't want it to grow. Some people want it to stay those little festivals with 300 people and campers. Yeah. You know, I remember when i first played like High Sierra, you know, there's like just hippies and face painting and people walking around on stilts and this ain't like Charlotte bluegrass festival, man. This is This is cool, you know. I want to be a part of this. You know, I remember the like what kind of turned me into this kind of person that I am now in the scene, or like turned me on to this whole scene was String Cheese Incident. Like, Mm. and I'm talking only a few years ago, 2011, 2012. I was completely unaware. I grew up playing bluegrass my whole life. Like I said, Doc, Flat and Scruggs, Bill Monroe, Jimmy Martin. I had no idea. About String Cheese Incident. Mm -hmm. I had no idea about Yonder Mountain String Band, Infamous String Dusters, Green Sky, Bluegrass. I had no idea that there was like a a scene where there was people with a banjo in the band where there was like young kids that were into it. Yeah. Until I saw String Cheese Incident, a video at Red Rocks. And, you know, they're up there playing Black Clouds, you know? And Billy Nursey's going. It's like, but they got drums, percussion, yeah. keyboards, big light show. Yeah, you know, electric bass, like. And I'm just like, wait a minute, he's flat picking. Yeah, he's playing flat picking guitar in front of ten thousand people. Huh. I want to figure that out. That's exactly how
0: I felt watching Bela Fleck and the Flecktones when I was a teenager going They're to playing the
1: cool music in front of a big crowd. Yeah, yeah.
0: And stuff that like on paper just doesn't work. Right. Like, no, that's not going to that's not going to work.
1: Yeah, they're not going to sell out that place.
0: And then but there's something so cool and magnetic about those sort of like we're just doing this and we're doing it our way and finding a way to make it feel compelling. There's something really magnetic about that that I think if you find that it it could it could manifest in so many different ways.
1: Yeah. I mean when you get Howard Levy and Bela and you know, all those guys yeah. together. It's just like, it can't not work. Of course. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. so good. But I feel like that kind of music really goes over a lot of people's heads, too. You sure. know, Like, when I first heard, you know, Coltrane, I was like, oh my God. Like, geez. Like, you know? Yeah. For me, I had the same
0: experience. And when I first listened to the Flectones, I didn't really understand what was going on. But I knew that I felt something. I knew that it made me feel a certain way mm-hmm. and I knew that th- it beyond just the way that I felt after listening to the music in the same way when I was a kid the first time I heard the blue album Weezer or the first time that I heard Green Day Dookie. Yeah. It's like, "Oh my gosh, this makes me feel a certain way." Yeah. I want to be in. I'm I want in on that. Yeah. Like that's how I really got going and I think that sort of thing even if it does fly over people's heads It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's just sometimes it is just how do you feel when you listen to this or when you're experiencing the show.
1: Yeah, and it might take a second for people to get it. Like, you know, when the Punch Brothers first came on, Mm. it was like people were, like, walking out and, like, falling asleep. And and they were doing, like, these, you know, classical suites and these amazing, like, movements. And, And, like, it just I think it just took a second for people to understand, like, oh, wait, this is brilliance is what this is. Like, when I first heard John Hartford, one of the greatest writers of all time, period, and and when I first heard him, I was like, this is weird. Like, I didn't really like it. When I first heard some of those uh, more modern bluegrass bands, Green Sky, The Dusters, Yonder, stuff like that, I didn't like it. Hmm. I was like, you know, coming from like the bluegrass traditional guy. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, my idea of playing the fiddle is... You know? Mm-hmm. And these guys are going, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, Anders on the Dobro with like an electric amp. Just <laughs> 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 like dude. Just like, man, that's not how you do that, man. Listen to uh Josh Graves, you know? <laughs> and and but that's that like it's, it's crazy that I was like that. Sure. Because I am so the 100% opposite of that now. I used to be like, you know, oh, you know, like there's a certain way to play bluegrass. Even like there's a certain way to play this solo on this song or like, you know, and it's just, I don't know what happened. I think I took acid and got into the Grateful Dead or something. And all of a sudden I realized that music is freedom. And if you just, you know, get yourself out of the box It becomes this amazingly free amoeba of like just jellyfish love, you know? And like it, it's just an amazing thing to like let go of that. We just get into this thing where we start vamping. It's like, all right, we're going to go there. And again, the music's playing the band, you know, we Mm -hmm. just go with it. We'll figure out how to get back to the, you know, head later or whatever, but let's go for a ride boys. And, you know, and just letting that go and letting the audience play the instruments Mm. you know they are giving you that energy and you're soaking it in giving them back to it and they're giving it back to you and it's this reciprocal thing and I really feel that when we play especially when we get into those seriously like improvisational moments yeah I feel like we're only as good as the audience you know what I mean it's like we can play better the more they give us
0: I think having that experience I can only imagine it to some degree it helps you empathize with those that might have that feeling about you now where it's like you uh, okay i don't want to hear that but at least i can understand where you're coming from i I know that you're not connecting with this but then you can you can maybe understand how to either win them over or how to communicate with them the only thing
1: about that is like the like the whole you know projecting or like social media stuff like that like there might be some old bluegrass guy that sees me and you know here's one of my big jammed out songs or whatever that's 20 minutes long and I'm using effects pedals and this guy's thinking this isn't garbage sure you know but if I sat down with that guy and and he wanted to talk about Bill Monroe and he wanted to play some bluegrass yeah I could sit there all night long yeah and talk about what recording session you know who was playing in the band at that time and and you know all that i'm like i could go deep with them and and i'm sure earn a little respect sure but it's just that thing you know you see 30 seconds of a video like i've even been ripped apart by some of my heroes like sonny osborne you know like the guy in the osborne brothers who's like you know the guy rocky top yeah (laughs) like he's like you know i don't remember what he said just wrote this big long article about how we suck or something and it's like Dude, you're like my hero, man. Like, you know, I guarantee if we meet someday and we could sit down there and pick, I don't think he would feel the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Oh, he's got green hair, but he can play Black Mountain Rag. Well,
0: last thing I want to do, just because I want to show people something that I think will work. Uh, musically, I have a pretty potent style that I play which normally is on electric guitar, I'll do it on acoustic guitar, and you have a very potent style of the way that you play, kind of funk, rhythm guitar, bluegrass, flat-picking guitar. People wouldn't necessarily think that those could go together. song that we just played shows that they can, but I want to just show the two of us, let's just jam, similarly, I think, let's just do like a G7. Mm -hmm. We'll just play, I'm going to play rhythm guitar the way that I do my thing, and I want you to play... Flat pick a solo, doing your thing the way that you do it. Be as Billy Strings as you can be. I will be as Corey Wong as I can be, and like just show that these these two different backgrounds, these two different worlds that we come from, can totally you know work together. I'll, I'll start us out. <laughs> it works yeah <laughs> that's fun oh man that's thank awesome, you so much dude. for joining man this is really fun it's it's great like it's been a long time since I've just sat down with
1: another guitar
0: player yeah. and really
1: just kind of geeked yeah. out yeah
0: yeah I love that well thanks so much for being on the show man it really means a lot this has been fun it's been great to hang and play music and uh, we got to we gotta do this again let's sit down and write something
1: sometime yes sir yes we should thank you so much Corey for having me man I appreciate it
0: there you have it Billy Strings come on this dude is so dope he's so fun to jam with so great to talk to Billy thanks so much for being with us and hey thank you for listening like I said at the beginning of this we're out on the road right now come check us out the band is hot the band is hot right now You got to see us. We will see you next time. Peace.